Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Unspeakable Love Sermon Series, which is based out of the book of Hosea. It is our hope that this series would help you in your walk with God. Please let us know how God has impacted you through these messages. Almost tonight to uh, Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4 tonight. <clears throat> and... Um, <clears throat> Getting back into our series, uh, Unspeakable Love, and of course, last week, because of the weather and the roads, we were unable to, uh, to meet, uh, but man, it's been good to be in the Lord's house, all three services today. Uh, I came in this morning and uh, heard a couple folks talking and just saying, man, I feel like I haven't been in church for a week. Oh, I haven't been in church for a week, and uh, man, it's just weird missing service, and I don't know about you, I hate it. I hate, hate missing, and, uh, but I'm looking forward to tonight's message and looking forward to this passage and, excuse me, continuing how it'll uh, continue our series and seeing how it'll help us tonight. Well, as we start, how many of you tonight, you remember the phrase, or maybe your mom said it, or maybe you said it, or maybe you still say it, the phrase, can I be frank with you, or let me be frank with you? How many of you remember that? You're dating yourself now. Um, <clears throat> can I be frank with you? I know my parents uh, used to say it from time to time. I think every now and then my mom will still say it. And, and of course, you know, growing up, I kind of wondered, who's Frank? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what are you saying? Can I be frank with you? Why don't you just be Judy with me? Like, you can just, just talk. And uh, you know what, the, what they're saying is, can I just be... Can I be free in speaking to you? Or can I be uh, direct or upfront in speaking to you? That's what the phrase means. Can I be frank with you? Let me, up, let me be upfront with you. Let me be free with you. And people say this so they can be upfront and honest. You know, I just don't want to hold anything back. I, I want to put everything out. I want you to know everything that's on my mind. As you come to Hosea chapter number four tonight, I find God with the children of Israel coming to the children of Israel and saying, let me be frank with you. Hey, just let me be honest with you. You say, why would he need to be, why would God need to do this? Well, let's review very quickly. So far, we've been in the life of a prophet or a preacher by the name of Hosea. You'll remember with me, it's been a time when the children of Israel, they were wandering from God. The children of Israel, they were doing um, like the book of Judges. They were doing that which was right in their own eyes. And every man was living after the God of his heart and just living after the gods of Molech and Ashtaroth and all of these, and Baal and the different gods of the land. And so they were had, had completely uh, um, committed what's, what we would call idolatry they had put something before God. And for them, it was literal idols. It was literal uh, um, little shrines and different things that they were bowing down to and molten calves and uh, uh, false groves or altars, all of that. That's what Israel was doing. They had departed from God. Well, God had sent, he had sent messenger after messenger after messenger after messenger to try to get their attention. Hey, children of Israel, I love you. Come back to me. Children of Israel. And, and he sent Jeremiah and he sent uh, uh, different prophets. I mean, you can go and you can find Amos being a contemporary or living at the same time as Hosea. And all of these people God had sent time and time and time and time again, trying to get their attention. Well, we know if you've been a student of scripture for any length of time, it didn't work. The messages were not getting through. And so God came to Hosea and he said, I wanna give my children an action message 
through you. I want you to literally live out a message before them that will help them turn to me. Well, if you can imagine, I imagine Hosea, right? He's a godly man walking with the Lord. He's a godly man living for God. And Hosea is kind of probably ready for the word of the Lord. God says to him, I've got something for you to give to the people. Okay, God, man, I can imagine him getting excited. And okay, I've got a message for the people. What's the message? Hosea chapter one, verse one, two, and three. Hosea, I want you to go take a wife of whoredoms, the daughter of whoredoms. I want you to go marry a prostitute. Um, what? I'm sorry, God, I... I Oh, come on. Some of you are looking at me like, no, we know that. Don't, don't we know that Hosea probably was kind of curious? God, why? I mean, here you have this man who's perhaps lived a separated life and one who's a, a messenger of God. He's a preacher of the Old Testament. And God says, I want you to go marry this woman of this wicked lifestyle. Well, God, why would I do that? Hosea chapter one and verse number two, because the children of Israel, they have committed whoredoms, they have committed adultery against me. You see, what God was doing is God was trying to say, I wanna use you as a picture of me. I wanna use Gomer as a picture, or that would be the wife he married. I wanna use her as a picture of the children of Israel to show that when Israel has idolatry or commits idolatry against me, it's like adultery in the marriage. It's just, it's just blatantly spiritual adultery against me. So the story, and, and you can go back and re review it. We won't do all of it right now, but Hosea, he goes, he marries Gomer. He marries one that she was a prostitute and he marries her and takes her unto himself. And the Bible says that they have a child. The child's name was Jezreel. And God said, I want you to name the child Jezreel because the name Jezreel, it means I will destroy. Hey, I want the children of Israel to know that because of their sin, I'm gonna destroy them. Like I'm gonna allow, I'm going to allow destruction to come their way. Okay, then they had a second child, but what we have to know is the second child, it wasn't Hosea's. It was Gomer and some other woman or some other man. And so the second child, Lo Ruhama, Lo Ruhama, and uh, it, it means not mine. So the first message God gave is Jezreel, I will destroy. Destruction is coming to Israel. The second is rejection is coming to Israel. I'm not even gonna claim you as mine. You don't claim me, I'm not gonna claim you. Well, there's a third child, Loami or Loami, also not Hosea's child. And God says, I want you to name this one Loami or Loami, which literally means... Uh, um, let me, go, let me go back to my notes. My mind just went blank on it. Yeah, not, not belonging to me, not my people. And that's teaching this idea of isolation. So now God says this, I want you to tell the children of Israel, not only am I gonna allow destruction to come their way and rejection to come their way, but also isolation. I'm gonna depart. I'm gonna separate myself from them. So when you look at all of this and 
when we understand what God is trying to do, the children of Israel, they had really walked away from God, hadn't they? They had walked away from him. But then you come to Hosea chapter number three, and the message we looked at a few weeks ago that all the while, while the children of Israel kept roaming and wandering and going away from God, God came to him and said, but I still love you. I still care for you. And God's message to the children of Israel is not only a message of destruction, rejection, isolation, but it's a message of redemption. Hey, I love you, and I'm gonna buy you back. Hosea chapter three and verse number two, it says that Hosea went and bought Gomer back. Remember, Gomer had left and kind of said, I'm going and doing my own thing. And Hosea pursued after her. And it's just like God pursuing after you. And isn't it wonderful to know that God, he doesn't let you and I just kind of wander off. And he, God doesn't say, oh, oh, well, they'll be fine. God doesn't say, oh, oh, well, they're just kind of, you know, these are just their teen years. Right, there's some parents that do that. Well, I sowed my wild oats, they'll sow theirs. Man, no, God's opinion wasn't, well, they'll just sow their wild oats. God's opinion was, no, I'm gonna pursue them. Why, because I love them, because I care for them. And we learned in Hosea chapter number three that it's a great picture of Hosea's love for Gomer is a great picture of God's love for us. And, Hosea chapter three and verse number three, Hosea says this to Gomer, hey, because I love you so much, I ask you, would you just love me back? Would you love me back? And isn't that what God asks for us? God doesn't say, listen, don't, don't miss it. God doesn't say, I want you to perform. God doesn't say, I want you to do all of these things. God says simply, I just want you to love me back. And we looked at that message and understood your motivation and my motivation for following God. You know what our motivation should be? It should be a motivation of love. Not a performance-based motivation. Not a guilt-based motivation. Not a debt-based motivation. But no, I want to serve God because I love him. I want to go to church because I love God. I want to read the word of God because I love him. I want to be faithful to him. Not because I want to do, 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 but because I want to love him back. We likened it to viewing how, how you view your debt, or excuse me, how you view uh, God is gonna determine your motivation. If you're here, we got Quinn up here and we talked, you remember the illustration? We got Quinn up and we talked about a debt that had been paid. There's a lot of Christians, they view, they view their debt of sin being paid like that $3 library overdraft fee, right? It's just kind of like, oh, thanks for paying it. You know, it's three bucks. Do I owe you? Can I pay you back? Some people view God's love towards them like that instead of viewing it as that which cannot be paid, like the mortgage. Man, I, I couldn't afford to pay off the house like that. You, you did that for me? Man, I, I wanna be close to you. I wanna be your friend. I wanna return that with love towards you. And if you and I would view his love towards us as the love that it is, boy, it's going to in turn activate a motivated love in my life. Does that make sense? All right, that was all part of introduction A. You still with me? So now let's get into introduction B, all right? 
That's part of the message. So let's stand and let's catch up where we are in our story. Because from here on out, Hosea chapter four, all the way to Hosea 14, we leave Hosea and Gomer behind. We don't know much about what takes place in their life. No, now from Hosea 4 to 14, here's what God does. God says, okay, the action message, now I'm gonna show you what I'm saying. Now I'm going to give you a direct message. I've been trying to get a hold of you this way with this picture message, but now I'm gonna be very direct with you. And God gets right to it in Hosea chapter number four. We're gonna go through the whole chapter, but for time's sake, I just wanna read the first five verses. Hosea chapter four and verse number one. The word of God says this, hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. Therefore shall the land mourn and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field, with the fowls of the heaven. Yea, with the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. Yet let no man strive nor reprove another for thy power or excuse me, thy people are as they that strive with the priest. Therefore, shalt thou fall in the day and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night and I will destroy thy mother. This passage, God is going to get very direct and he starts with that first verse when he says, I want you to hear my word, children, and here's why I want you to hear it because I have a controversy with you. I have a controversy with you. I wanna use that phrase, I have a controversy with you, and we're gonna use that and we'll build into our message tonight. But we're going to see tonight that as God starts, it's a very direct message, it's very plain, and there has some great truths that you and I can learn that I believe will help us this week, this week, if we apply this word to our life, man, God could use it to change the outcome of this week. And so let's pray, and then let's see the message from God tonight. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I would ask you, would you just uh, take a moment and commit the time to the Lord and uh, just ask him to speak to you and to speak to your heart tonight. Dear Lord, we thank you for the day and we thank you for the word of God. Lord, I just humble my heart before you and I admit, Lord, that I have nothing to give except for what you give through me. And so Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us tonight. I pray that you'd help us. I pray that you'd work in our lives. I pray, God, that you'd help each one of us to hear exactly what you want to say. We love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. As God comes to the children of Israel, he starts out, listen, by saying this, um, I want to come to you, I want to speak to you, children of Israel, and here's why I want to speak to you. I want to confront you about something. I have a controversy with you. I have a problem with you, children of Israel. You ever had somebody do that with you? You ever had somebody uh, come up and kind of confront you? Uh, Probably everybody has. 
If you're a boss, you've probably had an employee confront you. If you're a, an employee, you've probably had a coworker confront you. If you're a husband or a wife, you've probably had your spouse confront you. If you're a parent, you've probably had your children confront you. Uh, I don't know many people that like confrontation. I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to ask because I don't want to know. I don't really like confrontation. But can you imagine, let's just put ourselves in the children of Israel just for a moment. Can you imagine God coming to you? <laughs> hey, Troy, um, as God, I just want to tell you, uh, I've got a problem with you. Uh, um, what do you say? Hey, Jim, I just want to tell you, um, I have a problem with you. This is God speaking. <laughs> Dennis, I got to tell you, I've got a, I just don't know what I do. And yet the children of Israel, this is, their, this is their dilemma right now. Hey, I've got a problem with you. I've got a controversy with you. And then God begins to lay out before them his controversy, his problem with them. I want you to take just a few minutes with me tonight and understand as, <clears throat> as God comes to the children of Israel and he uses this phrase, I have a controversy with you. The word controversy is actually a lawyer term. It's one that you would use in the court of law. It means I have a dispute against you or have a case against you. If you were to break it all the way down, the phrase would be this. I have a strong, unarguable, and certain case against you. That's some pretty strong language. That's what God is saying in that word controversy. Hey, I've got a strong, unarguable, you cannot argue back to the words that I'm about to give you. Now, when most people can, uh, can confront you, what's your first reaction? I'm gonna argue back. I'm gonna present my case. Here's what God's saying. Hey, I'm gonna present a case and you're gonna keep your mouth shut because you have nothing to say. All right, God, what's your case? What's your direct message? As we start tonight, I want you to notice, first of all, that God starts with the charges. I call it the charges against Israel. He gives the case against Israel. Notice what he says. <clears throat> And we're going to see this. Uh, I wish we had time. I would encourage you in your own time, read Hosea 4 with the message in mind, and you'll see this all in context. We're just kind of jump around a little bit. We'll read through all of it, but don't have time to preach on all of it tonight. Here's the charges we see God giving to them. Notice in verse number two, here's what he says. Hey, by swearing, by and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. First case against you, wickedness is running in the streets. Here's what he says. By swearing, your words are against me. By lying, you continually lie and you have a habit of lying. By killing, hey, you are murdering the innocent. By stealing, uh, you're taking that which does not belong to you. By committing adultery, you are engaged in adultery. You are completely unfaithful in your marriages and you are just living out the whoredoms of the uh, 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 false gods of the land. They break out and blood touches blood. That phrase right there, it literally means there is blood running in the streets from violent crimes. That's what that phrase means. 
Violent crimes define your communities. Pretty strong case so far, isn't it? Notice what he says in verse number six. God continues, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Watch, because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I also will forget thy children. In this verse, God brings his charges to the priests and the spiritual leaders. Okay, verse two is to the people. Hey, sin is running rampant in the streets. Verse six, it's not against the people, it's against the priests. Not only has sin infiltrated the uh, uh, laity lives, the lives of just the people and the commoner, but sin has infiltrated my house. Well, what sin? Well, they've rejected my knowledge. They've rejected in seeking me. They've gotten away from asking for my wisdom. He says, hey, you have forgotten my law. You no longer seek my law. You no longer seek the mind of me. You just kind of continue on in your life with no, no concern for me. Verse seven, as they are increased, so they sinned against me. Well, what's that mean? As you grew, so did your sin. As you increased, in number, your sin increased. As you increased in stature, your sin increased. As you increased in age, your sin increased. Verse number eight, <clears throat> he says, they eat up the sin of my people and they set their heart on their iniquity. Well, that's kind of confusing. No, it's not if you're still remembering he's talking to the priests. Hey, priests, you're supposed to be the one, listen, you're supposed to, uh, people of God, priests, you're supposed to be the one standing against sin, but what's he say they're doing? They're eating up the sin of the people. Well, they're just as engaged in it as the people are. I don't know about you, but these are some pretty heavy charges, aren't they? Man, the case against them, God says, you have just completely forsaken me. People, you've forsaken me. And, and to make matters worse, the spiritual leaders have forsaken me. They're not seeking me. They're not obeying me. They're not giving attention to me. Your sin, it, it's abundant. And the list, it just goes on and on. Go down to verse number 12. My people ask counsel at their stocks and their staff declareth unto them for the spirit of whoredoms has caused them to err. And they have gone a-whoring from under their God. They sacrifice upon the tops of the mountains and burn incense upon the hills under oaks and poplars of elms because the shadow thereof is good. Therefore, your daughters shall commit whoredom and your spouses shall commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they commit whoredom nor your spouses when they commit adultery for themselves are separated with whores and they sacrifice with harlots. Therefore, the people that doth not understand shall fall. Now, we're reading this in kind of old English. And so we're like, that's a lot of words that we don't use right now. What does it mean? Verse 12 through 14 is God simply saying this. Hey, you have a religious display, but really, your relationship is destitute. Hey, you have a display of wisdom, or uh, excuse me, a display of religion, but you're destitute of relationship. Well, what is that? It's like this morning. You got the outer, but your heart is wicked. 
It's like what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You're whited sepulchers on the outward, but on the inside, you're filled with dead men's bones. That's what verse 12 through 14 is saying. <clears throat> Man, the charges, they're heavy. The charges are basically this. You have left off following me and you are seeking after sin. Children of Israel, you've been continually rebellious. You're playing the part of Gomer. You have forsaken the God who brought you out of Egypt. I see, first of all, tonight, the charges. But I see, secondly, the consequences. You see, <clears throat> excuse me, the case against them, the charges against them is you've sinned. But all throughout the passage, God says there are consequences for your sin. There's always consequences for sin. Did you know that? There's always consequences for sin. Some of them are natural consequences that God has set in place. Can I just be honest with you? I believe, and again, I'm not, I don't know everybody here. I don't know everybody's lifestyle here, or everybody's life here, and so I'm not talking, excuse me, about your past. We're gonna talk about the future. But many years ago, uh, and uh, I remember back in the uh, late 80s and early 90s, when the AIDS epidemic was spreading across our world. How I many remember those, hearing the story, and the biggest news line was when Magic Johnson got AIDS. There was, a, um, there was an athlete on the Lakers at the time when Magic Johnson got diagnosed with AIDS, and they had to test everybody else on the team. But there was one athlete, one player, who refused to go in for testing. His name was A.C. Green. And the reason A.C. Green refused to go in for testing is because A.C. Green was pure morally. He had abstained from physical relationship outside of marriage. He said, I don't need to be tested. I'm, I, have, I have not engaged in that. Oh, yeah, right, everybody's doing it. Come on, AC, and you can read, you can read his book. I read it when I was in fifth grade. My basketball coach, uh, I didn't respect him too much, but I do respect the fact that he gave us that book because he wanted us to understand you can stand and have character when other people don't. <clears throat> but here's what we have to understand. A lot of the uh, STDs is simply because of sin. Uh, again, I'm not trying to pick on you. I don't know. I don't know everybody's life here. Um, sometimes, and I want you to understand, I say this with compassion, but sometimes different types of cancers are because of decisions early on in life. Not everybody. Not, not everybody. I, I want you to understand that. I'm not saying there are people in here that have been battling cancer. My dad's one of them. Been battling cancer still for eight years. And so I'm not saying that that's everybody. I'm just saying there are certain types that it, it's kind of a consequence of it. Um, <clears throat> there are, and this is what I'm getting at, there are natural consequences that God has set in place for sin. Do we understand that tonight? There's just natural consequences for sin. Well, when you come to this passage, God is going to outline for them the natural consequences of sin. Notice what some of the natural consequences are. Go to verse number three. He says, therefore shall the land mourn and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field, with the fowls of the heaven, yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. Let no man strive nor reprove another 
For thy people are as they that strive with the priests. Therefore shalt thou, thou fall in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. What God is saying in this is he's saying, hey, there will be natural consequences for the sin. And when you look at verse number two, I believe it is, or excuse me, verse number four, when he says this, uh, yea, let no man strive nor reprove another. Here's what they were doing. Well, this is your fault. They were arguing. Well, the way, the reason the land isn't, isn't coming to fruition, the reason we're not seeing the good harvest, it's your fault. It's your fault. You, you're, you're doing this. And they're blaming each other, going back and forth. And here's what, listen, don't miss it. Here's what God's saying. Quit blaming each other. It's your sin. There is natural consequences for your sin. I have removed my hand of blessing upon the land, and I'm not going to bless the land. I don't think we're getting it. Hosea and Gomer, if you're here about a month and a half ago on a Sunday night, we're preaching the series. Remember Gomer, she had said, I'm gonna go to my lovers because they provide for me. I'm gonna go to them because they are the ones that keep giving to me. And Hosea says, what are you talking about? I am the one that provides for you. You think all these other things are taking place. I am the one that provides for you. This is the act, this is the picture the children of Israel, they were saying, oh, our land is great because of, because of how good we are and our land is doing well and prosperous because of us and God is saying no. And to show this to you, I'm just gonna remove my hand of blessing and let the natural consequences of sin take over. Go read Romans chapter one. Listen, uh, you wanna, can we get into politics for just a second? You wanna talk about climate change? Go read Romans one. That's the big argument right now. Right, I've seen some of our uh, um, those who have uh, pronounced that they're going to run for a 2020 bid on the presidency. And and listen, I'm I'll, I'm just going to talk politics. It's all right. We're all friends. We can do it. Here's what happens: is they come out and they're going to say, "I'm going to fight against climate change." How? We're going to eliminate cars school buses and airplanes and cows because they cause it. Can I help? Let's get some, okay, what does God say about it? <laughs> it's a great passage. Romans 1, even creation doth cry out to be reunited with God. Creation desires to be put back in union with God. Pastor, do you believe in climate change? Yes. Why? Because the Bible says it. It says that things are going to continue to just kind of change. I'm not talking about some weird evolution, but things are, look up the word, things are evolving, they're changing. That's what the word, are you a, you're a he's a walking dictionary. Evolve. To change. Okay, good. I just will make sure. Thank you for the confirmation. <laughs> Here's what's going on is people are looking and they're trying to find, oh, 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 man, this just came to me. It's really good. People are trying to find a human explanation for only a God-directed series of events. And the God-directed series of events is all because of sin. 
You want to know why our world is the way it is? Sin. Period. Well, it's the Republicans' fault, the Democrats' fault. No, sin. Humankind. And God says this in Hosea chapter 4, there are consequences. Natural consequences of sin. What are some more consequences? Verse number 6, since you've rejected me, I reject you. Since you've forgotten me, I forget you. Pastor, would God really say that? Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no more priest unto me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. Man, this is strong. Talking to the priest, hey, you've forgotten me, I forget you, you reject me, I'm just gonna reject you. No longer do I claim you as mine. Verse nine, look at it. And there shall be like people, like priests. Well, pastor, what's that mean? Hey, uh, priests, uh, listen, children of God, don't think that you're gonna escape the consequences. Because just as the consequences hit the people, the consequences will hit the priests. Pastor, I came to church to get encouraged. Um, Where are we going with this? Listen, it's a direct message. God, he's very precise. He says, there's a case against you. There are consequences against you. But can I give you the good news? I'll wait for a little bit because the bad news continues because the consequences still continue. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, the middle of it, it says, therefore your daughters shall commit whoredom and your spouses shall commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they commit whoredoms, nor your spouses when they commit adultery for themselves are separated with whores and they sacrifice with harlots. Therefore, the people that doth not understand shall fall. You say, Pastor, what's he saying there? Listen, this is, I believe, I believe in the passage and the context of Hosea. In my thinking, this is one of the strongest consequences against the children of Israel. Here's what it is. Hey, children of Israel, your sin has not only affected you, it has affected your family, and the consequences will follow your children. The sins of the father will pass and the consequences will be their children's to bear. Wow. Wow. Let's come back to our country just for a moment. We're seeing this lived out. We are seeing the consequences of the 60s, 70s, and 80s lived out in the 90s, 2000s, and 2010s. We're seeing it, our very eyes. Now, this isn't a prophecy to America. I understand that. But the application fits completely. But what is it? It's the natural consequences. Here's what God's saying in those verses. You're gonna complain about the way your daughters are going and the way your spouses are going uh, you raised your children and uh, you're supposed to be leading your spouses. So you want to know whose fault that is? Yours. 
Who's encouraged? Listen, I'm reading this and I'm studying this and I'm going through this. And I was talking to, to my dad about the series a few weeks ago. I said, man, my only fear is with the book of Hosea is number one, it's gonna get repetitive. And number two, there's some heavy things in it. I mean, there's some heavy, weighty things in this, but I believe God put the weight in there to help us understand this. Listen, I've got a case against you. You have departed from me. I've got consequences before you. There are natural consequences for your sin, and you never, you never know who your sin is going to affect. We need to mark that down. You don't know who your sin, dad, you don't know who your negligence, your, your sin of negligence is going to affect. You don't know, mom, you do not know who that sin of bitterness is going to affect. And this is what God is saying. Hey, there are natural consequences for your sin. We see the charge against Israel, the consequences for Israel. But I want you to notice the caution with me. There's a caution in here. For Judah. Who's Judah? Well, let's talk, talk about it just for a moment. Israel would be the northern kingdom, 10 tribes. Judah would be the southern kingdom, making up, uh, made up of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And Israel would be the northern part. You can read this and, and go and research. So all the yellow would be the 10 tribes, the kingdom to the north. And all of the uh, pink or the red down below would be Judah, the kingdom to the south. The message in Hosea is to the kingdom of the north. Read part of it to the kingdom of the south. Look at verse number 15. Watch this. Though thou, Israel, play the harlot, yet let not Judah offend. Come not ye to Gilgal, uh, neither go ye up to Beth-Avon, nor swear the Lord liveth, for Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. Now the Lord will feed them as a lamb in a large place. Ephraim, this is also Israel, is joined to idols. Let him alone. Their drink is sour. They have committed whoredom continually. Her rulers with shame do love. Give ye the wind hath bound her up in her wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Now I'm going to tell you, just a casual reading of this, you're going, huh? What, what, what does all that mean? Let's try to get some help tonight. <coughs> Excuse me, Israel, northern kingdoms, they're departing from God. Verse 15, right at the beginning, God says, hey, he summarizes again, Israel is playing the part of the harlot. They are playing the part of an unfaithful spouse. They are playing the part of one who is an unfaithful people. From 15 on, 15b on, God says to Judah, don't be a part of it. Look at verse number 17. What's the last few words of verse number 17 beginning at the word let? Let him alone. Who's the him? Israel, also referred to as Ephraim. It's a caution. Hey, Judah, Israel's going way off. They're going off the deep end. Don't follow them. Judah, don't follow them. 
There's natural consequences, verses 18 and 19. They're, they're treating, listen, Judah, Israel is acting like what? Anybody catch it in there? Not a harlot. Go read verse number uh, 16. A what? A backsliding heifer. Uh, should I tell him? Oh, it came to you, didn't it? I'm going to tell you. So when we were in Bible college, well, when I was in Bible college, it was a long time ago, and uh, at the school we went to, is Heartland Baptist Bible College, and uh, at the school, you can turn the recording off for right now, I'm just teasing. At the school, uh, they would have, this is mean, don't say it. Why not, Rebecca? At school, you know, if you, um, you're a young man going there to get married, perhaps, and so they had a segment of girls that instead of, I'll just tell you, we just called them the Heartland Heifers. <laughs> they just had a nickname. Now, you, we weren't specific in like who we was, just kind of a, it was kind of a funny thing that went around. Well, here's the real funny part. This has nothing to do with my message. It's just really funny when I think of the word heifer. My, my roommate, my roommate, my sophomore, you know, my junior year, my roommate, he bought a, Glenda, he bought a cow crossing sign. You want to know where they wanted to put it? Right next to the girls' dorms. Because they referred to all of them just as the Heartland Heifers. Well, why would you do that? It is just mean. But can I tell you, uh, God in this verse, he's not just making a joke. He's not like, oh, it's like the, you know, it's just like the Heartland Heifers. It's just, it's just a joke. He says, hey, listen, they're acting like a backsliding heifer. Anybody here work with animals? Anybody here work with cows? Blake, are you still doing that right now? You still working on the farm or you were, the ranch? But you were working there, right? Anybody else? Jim, did you work with, with cows a little bit? Maggie, you did? Jim, let me ask you this. And I know you have a little bit of ranch experience, farm experience, and different things. You ever have a real stubborn heifer? You know what we did? We used a cattle. You used a you used a goad, didn't you? Yeah. You know when you get onto it, when you get onto a farm, you're gonna have you're gonna have one heifer, female cow. You're gonna have one that just rebels, and instead of moving forward, you know what they do? They move backward. This is very strong language that God is using to describe the children of Israel. He is saying, hey, listen, you know what they do? They are, they are just like that stubborn cow that it just does not get it and has to be poked and prodded and just kind of pushed along. But the entire time, Israel is acting like a backsliding heifer. They're just going further and further and drawing further and further away from me. God isn't saying this as a joke. He is saying it in all seriousness, saying, hey, Judah, you need to pay attention right here. Israel has completely left me. Don't follow them. Leave him alone. That's strong words coming from God. Leave him alone. What is that to us? That's a caution. 
Here's the caution. When you see somebody that is continually stiffing God and pushing away God and saying, I don't want a part of God, here's what God says. Hey, mark that and don't follow. Don't follow. Well, pastor, shouldn't they be friends? That's not what it's saying. Do you know why he says don't go down to Beth Haven? If you were to look on the map right here, uh, Judah right here, of course, Bethel would be this area right there. And you can see it just right above uh, the borderline. You know what the children of Judah were supposed to do in Bethel? Bethel, house of worship. They were supposed to go to Bethel for worship. That's something you go back to uh, uh, the book of Kings and different things and all see all of that set up. They're supposed to go there to worship, but you know what they had done? They had turned the place of worship into Beth Haven. Some would think, well, Beth Haven's not too bad. You know what the word Beth Haven means? Bethel, house of worship. Beth Haven, house of vanity. They have turned my worship into sin. Go back to verse 12, 13, and 14. Man, listen. Israel had completely left off God. And God says to Judah, leave him alone. Man, leave Israel alone. Are you still with me tonight? Can I just say, wow. This is a lot. If I remember it right or look at it right, I mean, would you agree that Israel, they had gone off the deep end, so to speak. And now God has a controversy, a case against them. He's called out all sorts of sin. He showed their sin and he showed how it is going to come back and it's going to hurt them and hurt their land and hurt their families. He's even cautioned their brethren, the, uh, the house of Judah, to stay away from them because their sin has taken them so far. But what I want to look at tonight is one question. How did they get to this? I, I, I mean, would you agree with me that Israel is just far away from God? How'd they get there? How'd they get so far from God? For God to say, I have a problem with you, a case against you, consequences before you. I caution your brethren against you. How'd they get this far? That's where I want to get lastly tonight to what I'm calling the cause. What caused them to do all of this? Don't miss it. We'll be done. Go back to verse number one. Hosea chapter four and verse number one. Here's what the Lord says. Hear the word of the Lord. Catch that phrase. Hear the word of the Lord. Ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy against, or a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Pastor, how'd they get there? Verse number one describes it, and I'm just going to cut right to it. Israel had ended up in this place because of one reason. They had forsaken the word of the Lord. The appeal in verse number four, verse number one is, hear my word. 
stop ignoring me because there is no truth in the land. There is no mercy in the land. Listen, you have gone so far from me. There is no knowledge of God in the land. They had forsaken the word of the Lord. They had not applied themselves to follow after him. They had forsaken his word. They had forsaken his presence. And look at what's missing now. Because they had left the Lord, there is no truth. No truth is being taught. No truth is being lived out. There is no integrity. There is no character. You have gotten away from me and the truth of me, God says. There is no mercy. Hey, you aren't being merciful. You are not being gracious. You are doing everything you can to take advantage of people. You are a selfish people and you don't have mercy because you've neglected the mercy that I have on you. And there's no knowledge of God. There's no knowledge. No knowledge of God is what it's referring to. Not just having knowledge. No, knowledge puffeth up, but wisdom or prudence is from God. And here's what God is saying to them. There is no teaching of God. There is no acknowledging God. You are not raising families to look to me. And if you want to look at this and understand this tonight, that this rejection, don't miss this thought, this rejection of the word of the Lord, this uh, digression or descent from the presence of God, it had resulted in chaotic living against God. That's what we're reading. Children of Israel, it started because you neglected my word. We see it throughout the entire chapter. Verse six, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge knowledge of God. End of it, thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. Verse 10, they have left off to take heed to the Lord. Verse 12, they have gone a whoring from under their God. You want to know why the children of Israel got so, oh, don't miss it tonight. It is elementary, but it is so basic for any single person who wants to live their life for this, for, for live this life for the Lord Jesus Christ or love God from the heart. The entire reason children of Israel had departed and gotten away and had this whole case against them and the consequences around them and the caution against them for Judah was because they neglected the word of God. Wow. <clears throat> Would you agree that the sins called out and the consequence, consequences called out are pretty egregious? That they're pretty big? Don't miss it tonight. Don't miss it. This huge pile of unarguable charges against Israel, it started with one word, neglect. They neglected the word of God. God spoke, they neglected. God preached, they neglected. Prophets declared, thus saith the Lord. And they said, you fool. You're a, you're a crazy. They neglected. Can I just tell you, when the word of God is neglected and turned away, the result is never good. When the word of God is turned away from the elements lived in 
our consequences of it. Proverbs 29, 18, it says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. The word vision there, it means open declaration of the word of God. Where there is no word of God, where there is no open declaration, when the word of God is not around, death and chaos is the result. Can I just tell you this, that when the word of God is avoided, not put to use, and not spoken of, the results are devastating. Listen, I preach this often, and I, I used to kind of apologize for it, like, I don't mean to repeat myself, but man, and I'm still a young man, but the older I get, and the more I study the word of God, and the more I watch people's lives, and the more I, I get into leading people, I will say this unapologetically. If you neglect God's word in your life, you will end in lack of fulfillment and you never know what could happen. Pastor, are you trying to scare us? No. I want to caution you. I want to caution me because neglecting God's word is so easy. Just one day, oh, it's all right. Just one service, ah, it's okay. Now, Pastor, are you saying we can never miss church? No. I'm saying that often we can come to church but miss it because God speaks and we neglect it. God says, straighten, work on this in your life. It speaks to your heart about loving. The message two weeks ago and the motivation of love, I, I just want to re-preach it and re-preach it and re-preach it because we have so many Christians that just go through life and they do, 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 and God says, stop. Love me. Don't just do things for me. That's religion. God says, I puke that out. That's, that's the book of Revelation. That's lukewarm. I would that you were either hot or cold because if you're lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That is that religion. It is vile. It is disgusting before me. And God says, hey, listen, believer, love me with all your heart. You want to know the only way that you and I can grow in love with God? Listen, the only way we can do that is if we get in his word. Let his word minister to you. Let God's word be the balm for your spirit. Let's God, let God's word be that which comforts you in trial. Let God's word be that which conflicts you and, and, and challenges you out of a stagnant relationship. Let God's word be the one that stirs up a burden for souls. Let God's word be that that challenges you as a wife to live a godly life for Jesus Christ. Let God's word be the one that comes in, sir, and challenges you to step up to be a man in this country and to step up and be a man of God because when you and I neglect the word of God, chaos is going to be the result. Get in God's word. Don't skip a day. Get in his word. Man, don't neglect it. It's a simple decision. But the result can be catastrophic. 
I started a second ago by saying I hate controversy. It was like 40 minutes ago, but I don't like it. I don't like confrontation with my parents. I never have. I've never liked it. You can ask them whenever they would say, Dennis, you're in trouble. I'd start crying immediately. I'm sorry. I hate it. I hate confrontation with my children. There's been times where I, as a dad, have to go to them and say, I'm sorry. I apologize. I hate confrontation with the staff. I win those all the time. <laughs> I'm just teasing. You know what? There's times I've had to go to the staff and I've had to say, I'm sorry. Times when, times when the staff has not confronted me, pastor, you're doing this, but times when they, as a brother or sister in Christ, uh, and mainly Micah and Robert, they'll come and they'll say, hey, pastor, uh, man, I've kind of noticed this. And not attacking me, but just saying something. And you know what? I have to, be, I, I have to humble, humble my heart and say, I, I didn't see that. Thank you. But I hate that. I hate controversy. You know the one person I absolutely despise having controversy with? My wife. I hate it. I hate it. You mean you and Miss Hannah have fights? No. We have disputes. We have disagreements. <laughs> yeah, which I lose. <laughs> you know what? In all seriousness, I, I, I hate arguing with people. My wife and I were talking last night, and I said, you know, honey, we had to go to a political thing and, uh, with a few of our representatives last night, and I, I said that we were leaving I said, you know, if I wasn't a pastor, I think I could be a politician. So I think I could do it. And she said, yeah, you'd make a good politician. I went, is that supposed to be nice? Like a compliment? Or are you saying that I'm a sleazebag? You know, and, and we were joking. And, and then she said this, and very true. She said, but you probably wouldn't like, you probably wouldn't like the debate part of it. I said, oh, I'd hate it because she knows me. Like, I hate it. I hate this. I can't do it. I feel stupid. I'm like, they've got the, you could have a great case against me, and I'm going to be like, okay, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I, I got nothing to say to you. You know what I've found that helps me and Hannah avoid controversy? And I wish she was here. She's not. Micah, come here. turn my mic off. <clears throat> you know what? And th this goes a long way with a husband and wife, with a brother in Christ, with friends, whatever it may be. You want to know the best way to avoid controversy? Spend time together. And when I say spend time together, invest in the relationship. Let the friend speak to you. Let your spouse be open with you. Engage in the relationship and controversy goes down. Okay, we got that? Let's bring the spiritual in. You wanna know how to avoid controversy with God? Engage in the relationship. Talk to him and let him talk to you.
You, know, you want to avoid the consequences like Israel's facing? Get close to God. Embrace him. Every day, God, I just wanna walk with you. God, I just want your word to speak to me. God, I just wanna be close to you. Because if I'm like this, I'm not gonna be like this. I'm embracing him. I'm engaging the relationship. So now it's not me against God, it's me and God. We're walking together every day. It's me and God as a, a friend. Moses was called the friend of God. Why? He just walked with him. He was just in his presence. He lived before him. He engaged in the relationship. Believer, thanks, Micah. I believe this is a very powerful truth that if you and I would grasp it, it could literally change the future in your life and my life. Here's simply this, okay? Five words, embrace the word of God every day. How did they end up here? They neglected his word. They neglected his word. That's all it is. You say, Pastor, couldn't you have skipped a whole lot and just said that? Yeah, but it wouldn't have been as much fun. And we need to see it. We need to see the picture. Children of Israel have a charge, a case against you. There are consequences, natural and allowed, for your sin. I will even caution those close to you to get away. But here's how you can avoid it. Embrace my word. Hear the word of the Lord. Allow truth. Allow mercy. Allow my knowledge. We need the, the, the word of God. We need it to be an intricate part of our life every day. I wanna challenge you. Would you make that decision tonight? God, this week, for seven days, seven days, with your help, seven days, I commit to not neglect the word of God. I commit to it. I wanna ask you if you'd make that decision tonight. And if you would, when we have our invitation, you can make it there in your chair or you can use the altar. It's a simple decision. God, seven days. I'm not gonna neglect it. I'm gonna allow your word to be an intricate part of my life. But maybe you're here tonight and you don't need just God's word to be an intricate part of your life. You need God to be an intricate part of your life. I wanna ask you this question. For everyone in here, do you know if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Are you 100% sure? If you're not, then tonight I would like to have someone take a Bible and they'll show you from God's word how you can be sure you're going to heaven. You could leave here with confidence knowing that Jesus Christ is your savior and that you would spend eternity with him and that your sins are all forgiven. And I'd like to have someone show that to you tonight. And if you're here and you don't know that, during our invitation, folks will have their heads bowed and their eyes closed. I invite you to come. I'll be right here at the front and I'll pair you up with someone. They'll take the Bible and they'll show you what God says about forgiveness and eternity. However God's spoken to us tonight, let's respond to him. Dear Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Help us to respond to you. Help us, Lord, to make the decision not to neglect your word the next seven days. We love you. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.